Hello, everyone, and welcome to Today in Space. Uh, we're here. This is going to be our second to last episode before the end of the year. So we're, we're doing a lot of, of, of thinking back and, and, and looking at what our last year entailed and what we did well, what we didn't do well, how we can improve. And it's, uh, it, it's an interesting time. I, I, you know, it's funny. I, I really, really love doing this, this podcast. It's a, it's a great place for me to grow and to, to become a better person. Um, but just like anything else, kind of, I'm a human being. I have insecurities. I have, you know, um, it's not all just, you know, numbers on a piece of paper and, you know, I'm, I'm a robot about it. It, it I, I experienced growth myself. And what I've really been looking at this last, this last year is, is trying to, to take everything with a grain of salt and, and, and be grateful for what, what I have in front of me. We have, People listening to this podcast and 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 giving feedback and getting involved and, and the community is starting to grow and it's it's it, it's incredible. I mean, uh, to to see how far it's come from the early days of doing this podcast in my basement to where where it's come now is is really important. But but more importantly, it's to look back. That's what what this year, this end of this year, twenty nineteen, is for me. Is to look back at where we've come from and to just be happy about where we're at. I really am grateful for where we're at. I'm grateful for you that listen and watch to the show. Um, so uh, very, very appreciative of that. And, and and I'm really, really excited about what we have planned upcoming for 2020. First of all, I can't believe we're in 2020 already. Uh, that, that seems like we should have, uh, you know, 2020 growing up was such a crazy year of, of the future. And, and we, we don't have flying cars and we don't have, we're not living in space necessarily, but all those little things that are, that are about to get us there are, are kind of in motion at, at the moment. And, and there's a lot, there's a lot to look forward to along the way, things are going to get bumpy. And, and, and we saw that with the Boeing Starliner test, we saw that, you know, even even during the launch process, even when things seem, you know, launching the rocket, uh, launching, launching the spacecraft off the rocket, everything can seemingly go well. But you have to look at the entire mission and not just the launch process. And so we saw that something did go wrong and the Boeing Starliner spacecraft did not make it to the orbit it needed to get to, to then get itself to be able to dock with the International Space Station. Um, now, while many people were very quick to say that this is a problem, that they failed, uh, it, it was a bump in the road. And if you looked, if you only looked at that one part of the mission, that one area of, oh, the spacecraft didn't make it to orbit, you would, you could easily consider that a failure. But if you look at the entirety of the mission, the, the launch went well, the United Launch Alliance did everything they were supposed to do as a launch provider. They delivered the spacecraft to the orbit it was supposed to be in. It was the spacecraft itself that wasn't able to take itself into orbit because of, of, of a, a, an issue apparently with the mission clock. It didn't know when exactly it was in the mission. And from what I've seen from really, really preliminary stuff, there's not a report yet. We'll cover that when that comes back out. But basically, it didn't know where it was. It was over-adjusting. And then by the time it was able to change what was going on because there was no one on board, which if there was someone on board, they could have easily or more easily adjusted the spacecraft 
to get into orbit, but because it was a robotic mission and we we're trying to do testing, it overdid it, it overworked itself and lost the opportunity to get into orbit. Now, even though that did not go according to plan, the spacecraft landed successfully. The spacecraft was able to put itself into an orbit that was uh, nice and slow and, and gradual so that it could deliver the spacecraft to land in, in the White Sands uh, base to be recovered and all three parachutes were released It and if there were astronauts on board, they would have come home safely. Uh, so look, it's all about your perspective. And this is something I learned. You know, I, I say a lot of stuff on this podcast. <laughs> um, sometimes, and, and it's interesting learning more about how people are uh, see or, or, or uh, what's the word I'm looking for? You know, I may say it in a certain way in my head, and then there's the way that people take it. And what, what I've been learning is that Sometimes when I say things, it may come across as if it's a definite. And I talk about a lot of things sometimes like perspective and making sure you have a good perspective and things like, hey, um, we've talked a lot about the balance. These are things that I'm working through. And, and, and one of the things I'm definitely working through and working on, because this podcast has been such a, a great growth for me personally, is is taking the time to say, hey, let's take a step back take a deep breath and what is the big picture what what do we what do we take away from this in at the end of it and what we take away with this Boeing launch is that even though things went wrong the spacecraft and if there were people on board humans on board they would have been safe that is a success and even NASA is considering this not a failure you know uh, it didn't actually have to dock with the International Space Station we learned that after the fact but uh, apparently that was not required for NASA to consider this a successful test. So it's really about how you want to look at things that determines your entire world view. And it's something uh, something that I've, I've definitely thought about and I've learned throughout the process of, of this podcast uh, from five years ago, uh, which is which is crazy to think about. But life and how you look at life, to, the, the, the the latest metaphor I'm working with is it's like a kaleidoscope, right? Where you would be able to flip different colors, right? Um, and almost like it's a different filter. You know, you could go uh, from being happy to sad to angry to, uh, I mean, there's so many different ways you can look at it. But if you can learn to understand that the world, how you view it, totally affects how you see reality, then you can get better at saying, I'm looking at it this way. Maybe. I need to take a step back, take a breath, and look at it this way. And it changes your whole perspective on life and the reality that you're living in right now. So what we're, what we're doing here at the end of the year is looking at reality. We're looking at the numbers. We're looking at what was popular, what people were actually uh, following the show for and, and listening to and liked the most. We're going to have a, a top 10 list on the website at todayinspace.net, so you can check that out and see what people were most interested this year. And we're focusing next year to start talking about those things and to expand in ways that we've never done before because I've gotten to, uh, I feel like I've done enough work to get to the next level to now start trying out new things. 
you know, we talk about the show is today in space, which is a very broad term. And we talk a lot about rockets and the rocket industry because that is the vehicle that will allow us to go into space. All these future sci-fi things can't happen unless we're able to go into space economically. And that's one of the big things that SpaceX has kind of broken the space industry for is that it is possible to have reusable spacecraft. And it is possible that that can really drop the price and make things super competitive and will explode the space industry. But now we're, we're going to start expanding into what's possible and, and, and other things of space and, and, and really expanding what we're going to talk about here. So I'm very excited about that. We'll talk about that more as we get into 2020. But I'm very, very excited. There's a lot to come and that's it. So for the rest of this episode, we're just going to keep, we're going to finish up with part two of the Veggie Lab. You know, one of the great things about 2019 was we got to go to the NASA Social down in Florida to cover the SpaceX CRS-19 launch, which was my first rocket launch of all time. If you haven't seen them, please, I mean, those, those videos are up there. Um... I, I've got a lot of feedback that people could literally tell how excited I was. And I was. I was I was uh, above the moon. Uh, it was crazy. It was such an experience. Um, so go check those out. But uh, this is going to be our last little portion of basically taking you on the tour with us. So this is part two of the Veggie Lab. And this is a, a, a laboratory where they test out and experiment on how to grow things in space. If we do achieve the goal of going into space, how do we feed the humans that are out there? How do we give them enough nutrients to do that? And the first part we talked about last last week with, with uh, Rolf Fritchie, he was talking about how to actually build the infrastructure and what we need to do for nutrients, what plants do we have to grow. And in this section, we're going to talk about the science that goes into actually breaking down what it's like to plant and to grow each of these plants and, and the science that goes into comparing on Earth and on the space station how how to test those things so that we make the best use of our time because they don't have that many that many tries. You know, it's really hard to get onto a, a rocket launch and to deliver something into, into space. And so if we're able to actually uh, build an experiment and get every, every bit of data through a limited amount of experience experiments, that's the way they have to do it. And so they talk a little bit about that. But more importantly, it's just interesting to hear from the people that are involved. I mean, these people took time out of their day. They're, they're involved in the day-to-day -day operations of making this st stuff happen. And they set up this tour and spent the time to, to gather their thoughts and to talk about it. And I thought they all did a great job. I mean, it's definitely something, if you're an engineering student, there's definitely some of those times where your professor is a very brilliant person, but <laughs> isn't isn't very good at communicating that. And all these people here were, were great at communicating um, the, the science and what they're doing. So without further ado, that's what we're gonna have for this week. Thank you for, for following us. 2020 has so much amazing stuff coming forward for us and I'm looking forward to it. If you have any ideas or, or you wanna reach out, or you wanna just talk space, we're on Instagram and Twitter at Today in Space Pod. We're on Facebook at Today in Space Podcast. And we're also on TikTok at Today in Space. So you can check us out on all those platforms. Uh, that's it, folks. Have a great end of your year. I hope you had a great holiday season. Uh, stay well, and we'll be back before the end of the year with a little 2020 pre-show for the next year. All right. See you next time. Enjoy the rest of this show. Right now.
well. Come on in. Yeah. Don't mix well without gravity, without convection, natural convection. We have forced convection. Um, but we have a lot of problems watering. So you guys quiet. We can make two rows. It's all good. So one of the things that we're doing a lot of work on is development of water and nutrient delivery systems that will work well in different gravity levels. And this is our test bed. So we have four parts in here that are outfitted with a whole bunch of sensors. And we have one system in the back left that's sort of a standard earth-based hydroponic system. It's called nutrient film technique, and it's crops that have a thin film of water flowing through them with nutrients in it. And this is the way that a lot of commercial greenhouse facilities grow crops. You know, a lot of the lettuce you can buy in the grocery store might be grown this way. Real and really effective when you have gravity. So that's sort of our standard that we compare everything else to. The other parts get different types of systems that should work without gravity. And so in the front, we have two systems that are porous ceramic tubes, where the water and nutrients are pumped into these tubes, and you'll get a thin film of them kind of around the outside. That's the, um, the system on the left. It's an active system. The system on the right is a passive system, where the tube is just connected to a bag, and you can also get some almost, of the almost like an IV. Yeah. But it's but it doesn't require gravity. No power involved. And so these are great because they're like a chia pet, like Trent said, um, to the last group, where you can basically have the roots growing on the outside, and when you go to harvest your plant, you can just peel off the roots and replant. Because we're looking for ways to grow and things soil Yeah. And then in the back corner, we have one called an on-demand system, where we have moisture sensors embedded in a foam or a substrate, and these tell the moisture level in there, and then we have a pump providing water and nutrients to that. As the plant pulls it out, the addition is provided back. Um, so we're examining these, but we may look at other candidate systems in the future. So the whole point of this test bed is to learn how to grow plants using different techniques. And we always have the benchmark in there to make sure that the test is valid. If something funky happens in the chamber, it will happen to the, you know, the uh, hydroponic system. So as Joya said, you know, we have these two chia pet methods that don't require any soil, any media. So if you're looking to uh, grow plants in microgravity, you know, you really don't want to use any media. It's and if you maybe can grow uh, all your crops, or even some of your crops, chia pet style, with no pumps, but they grow slower, that may be okay. Or if they're less productive, that may be okay because it's saving you all that weight. So this is why we're testing all these different techniques to really get after how will we supplement that's not diet and fresh nutritious food. These were just planted yesterday. That's yeah. why you don't see any plants. Right. These were planted with the dwarf tomatoes, and I'll show you those dwarf tomatoes in, in a minute, uh, red robin tomatoes. So they're going to grow for about three months. Um, but yeah, we don't have any plants up to show you yet. But this is a repeat of a previous test that was done in these systems. So we replicate everything that the results are valid. Um, and, you know, these parts are outfitted with lots of different sensors, so we have the ability to really track and monitor the environment and the plant growth. We've got cameras, light sensors, infrared cameras, uh, pressure sensors, everything we've got. Yep. So, my question is, you ever on orbit, start So that's more of a flight experiment. <laughs> 
And absolutely, when the uh, fruit is had a Thanksgiving harvest, the lady harvested uh, the Zuna plants on Thanksgiving very early in the morning. We were here at 2 uh, in the morning. Uh, so they had a Thanksgiving, and we ran a ground control. Our ground control runs just down the hall, and it's a two-day delay. Why you want to run a two-day delay is if something weird happens on station by the lost college and the family, you can, A, find out about it, plan it, and then replicate it on the ground. That way, the only difference is the heat. That was in our veggie hardware, so our veggies, our small plant growth chamber on station. It doesn't use these techniques. It uses a grow bag, a substrate with some controlled release fertilizer. And it requires a lot of labor for the astronauts to manually add water to it. It also requires a lot of guesswork on our part to tell them how much water to add. So we want to get to a more sustainable system. Automated, that, robotic, that sensors. Yeah. Uh, way, you know, the crew can go interact with the plants if they want to, but if they have to go do other things, the plants will not. So we have chambers just like this. It's a controlled environment chamber that controls temperature, humidity, and carbon dioxide. We have the, the chambers that Trent talked about for the ground control. They actually get data down from space station, and they control the environment to match the space station environment. Because yeah. when, when you have more crew, the CO2 goes up. When they're working out, you can see the CO2 spike. When they go to sleep, you'll see it come down. So if you're running a life science experiment where you're trying to you know, get uh, secondary metabolites or uh, RNA or anything, these changes will change how the plant responds or the fruit fly or whatever you have breathing that environment. So you always want to replicate it exactly. So we run our chambers at kind of an average space station. This one's going back up because I have the door open. But it's like 22, 23 degrees Celsius, around 50% humidity or 45, and around 3,000 parts per million CO2. And just so you know, outside it's about 400 to 410, you know, slowly going up. Yeah. So 3,000 is significantly more than what plants are used to. And most plants do pretty well in that and actually grow a little faster than they would here on Earth. Hmm. So these are the red robin tomato plants that Joya mentioned. They've been zapped. Go ahead and fill in. Yeah, please. One of our uh, colleagues, uh, Dr. Jay Jane, uh, works up a, uh, takes uh, seeds and uh, other uh, plant material up to Brookhaven National Lab where they have a beam line that can uh, simulate galactic cosmic radiation. So does it, everyone know what galactic cosmic radiation is? So in case you don't know, the refresher, galactic cosmic radiation is ions with all the electrons, so these are atoms with all the electrons stripped away, zipping through the universe at about relativistic speed, so like half the speed of light. And so if they interact with your DNA, they totally blast your DNA, and your DNA cannot be repaired. And it's one of our major risks for deep space exploration is how will you deal with solar particle events and galactic cosmic radiation? Yeah, I think Ralph probably talked a little bit about that on the way for And, you know, for a plant scientist, you're like, oh my God, what's going to happen to my plants and my seeds? So that's why we want to understand if you are depending on plants to something that has a diet for key nutrients like vitamin A, C, and B1, absolutely you need to know, will my plants do well? So that's what we're testing here. Yeah, Dr. Zeng, she takes seeds and germinating young plants to Brookhaven National Laboratory where they have this space radiation simulation beam, and she subjects them to different dosages or to no dose at all. Those are the controls. And then she grows them, and we look at how well the plant grows, if there were any weird mutations, if it germinates or grows more slowly. You see some of these are a little behind some of the others. 
then we look at how nutritious it is when we're ready to eat it, um, how much it yields. So we really are trying to get a handle on what these impacts of radiation might be. Should be. Again, this is simulated space radiation. So when we actually go to the gateway or to the moon, we'll see how different it is because that's sort of a low dose over a long period of time versus this, you know, a few this, hours. Right, this is an acute dose where uh, when you're out in deep space, it's a very complex low dose. So are those two the same? We don't really know, but that's why you go test and that's why you go explore. And so these are the red robin tomatoes, the, the dwarf tomato variety that we've done a lot of work on. They're really tasty, pretty high yielding. They don't get any bigger than this. Um, and so we hope to grow these on space station uh, around 2021 or so. Um, yeah. Mm -hmm. So we have the veggie hardware on the space station. That's about the size of a two-drawer file cabinet. We've got two of those up there, and we have our advanced plant habitat, which is our larger, more automated plant physiology research tool. And so in addition, we've done a lot, we don't have any growing right now, but we've been doing a lot of crop selection studies, both with leafy crops, because that's what we've mostly been growing on Space Station, but also- you can pick and eat them. With tomatoes. No cooking required. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And peppers. So we've been doing a lot of work with peppers, and so on your way out, you can look through the window into our Greenworks facility there, you'll see pepper plants everywhere. Um, we've been doing a lot of work with chili peppers, especially, and we are going to be growing uh, these chili peppers on the Space Station in that other piece of hardware, the advanced plant habitat next year. Well, actually, uh, so chili peppers have uh, about two or three times the vitamin C than a form of orange by bullet. And the astronauts, when they're in microgravity, you know, there's no gravity pulling the blood down from their feet, and yet their hearts still pumping the blood up from their feet. But they have that fluid shift. Have you ever seen the crew? You see they have those puffy faces? And uh, the crew sometimes mention that, you know, it can impact the flavor. And actually, if you see a lot of photos, You'll see hot sauce and mustard, and I always see sriracha. Mm -hmm. So they are always, they seem to always be looking for strong flavors. Yeah. And we sent up wasabi mustard green, mm. and they love them. Mm. And so we think patch chili, it's actually it's a variety of patch, it's actually a combination of a mountain, uh, New Mexico pepper, and a hatch valley that they combine. And the mountain one kind of is a smaller, faster fruiting because it doesn't have as long. It's like, oh my god, I'm going to die in the mountains. I need to you know, put my seeds out. So that we uh, crossed it, so we're like, that's a good one. And we got little, little uh, improved uh, Espanola growing in uh, the, just down the hall, and that's what they're going to grow and hopefully eat wow. uh, next year. Wow. So those are the crops we're working with now. As Ralph told you, you know, we're looking at things you can pick and eat directly. There's no way to cook anything on Space Station except they just sent up that cookie, the cookie oven. oven. So right. Like, <laughs> How big is that? How high? I was already checking. It's like 25 now. What can we do with that? <laughs> One cookie is not very big, so let's be a yeah. pretty small baked potato, too. But we're thinking about it. I, we always, we're always looking to see what's on board. We're looking for it. I think that works for what we're doing. Yeah. But, you know, in the near term, we're starting with these pick and eat salad crops, and then we'll add more crops to the longer part of the go, and the more efficient we get. But this is where it happens. This is where we test the crops before we send them to the space station. We've got to make sure that they can handle high CO2, LED lights, you know, in pillows or whatever, whatever they're going to grow in. Down the hall to make sure it's going to grow. And then the astronauts throw them, 